1: We didn't know we'd be here, but here we are. The Philadelphia Union's 2023 season has come to an end. And with that, sadly, I welcome you into what is now a recap show of the Philadelphia Union's loss at FC Cincinnati on Saturday and looking back at this season. Welcome in to PHOY Union Podcast. I'm Renee Washington, my usual other half, JP Zabata not here with us today, unable to make the show, but we'll be back on the show later this week. And I've got Tyler Zuli joining me. We also will have a great guest as well joining us later, who is a contributor for the MLS as well as US Soccer. He's a freelance writer and editor, and that's Charles Boehm, who's going to be on the show. And with all that said, It's a very sad day. Will, I see you're the first in the chat. Very consistent you're one of the first in the chat. Agree with you. It was a tough game to watch. Horrible call at the end, you're saying. And you wonder how many changes we see next season. As you guys trickle in, hit that thumbs up button. Make sure you're joining the conversation on this Cyber Monday, as we're also having a somber, sad Monday. Now, my initial thoughts watching this game uh, definitely was not a great game. It was very... Frustrating to watch at times, as it, we just could see, at least I, in my opinion, the first half, especially with the union, were not matching the same level that we saw from FC Cincinnati. And it felt like, you know, it, this could be it. But I still had hope. I still had hope that come second half, things would turn around the union did play much better in the second half, but was not enough, of course, as we saw Mascara's game winner in, in stoppage time. We'll get to the controversial call. We'll get to all that, but also possibly the last time you see Ali Badoya in a Philadelphia union kit. You know, this, these are the moments now as I'm like digesting and processing the loss that it's starting to hit me. Oh, wait a minute. Probably not going to see Kai Wagner back. Probably not going to see Ali Bedoya back. Probably not going to see someone like Julian Carranza or Michael Ua. We have no idea. Daniel Gazdag, who's going to return? So it's adding insult to injury because now we start to wonder which moves will be made. So welcoming in our producer, Tyler Zuli. I'm curious to know, Tyler, your initial thoughts as you've had a chance now to get two sleeps since the loss. How are you feeling
0: so first of all, I, I guess you can't get rid of me. Is, is this just like
1: <laughs> you, just and you? You and, you, and I buddy. are
0: destined to do shows for the rest of eternity. Um, I, I like this was a game of it was a ninety-six minute game that boils down to like four seconds mm. because that's all anybody talks about, and and probably rightfully so. I know we're gonna digest the whole thing, but like the only thing that is gonna be stuck on people's minds. Is the call, no call of the offside at the end and then like 96 minute goal. It's, I mean, it, it, was, it was the backbreaker. And, and quite frankly, I, I think what people, what's going to stick with people is the relative ease at which the refs just went and, and VAR just went, yeah, well, we, we don't got enough evidence. So mm-hmm. I guess we're just going to move on. And oh, by the way, there's the final whistle. Uh, so to me, it's, it's <clears> one of those things, Renee, that it's just going to stick with you for a really long time regardless if you felt the union were the better team or not, I think they were probably the better team in the second half. I thought the first like 20 minutes of the game, FC Cincinnati dominated mm-hmm. and then the union kind of swung it back to neutral. They came out in the second half and I thought from probably 45 to about 70, they were decisively the better team and just didn't, weren't able to put the ball in the back of the net. And then you get the backbreaking goal in like the ninth in the 96 minute. And again, that's all anybody's going to come back to is what is VAR doing if you're not using it to, to an advantage that was, you know, relatively clear to me that he was offside.
1: Yeah. That's absolutely what makes it the most frustrating Tyler, because I had a feeling and we talked before the game even happened. We could see the game going either direction, right? I mean, FC Cincinnati supporter shield winners. uh, Obviously it's also a rematch of last year's Eastern conference semifinals where the union did knock off FC Cincinnati. Knew there was going to be some extra vengeance with it being in Queen City. Rose Lavelle was pregame doing the, the the pregame sword thing, which I loved because I'm a huge, obviously I'm a women's soccer fan in general, but I'm a Rose Lavelle fan as well. Love seeing that moment, was excited for the game, was excited for all that was teed up. Obviously they were without their uh, defender of the year and Matt Miasa, Miaska, excuse me, uh, the union without Kai Wagner and Jacob Glesnes did get the news that Jacob was going to be on the bench, could be a possible late substitution. So all the storylines were teeing up and we were so excited about how this was all gonna unfold. And then it was a controversial goal. And I would not mind. I'd still be upset. I would not mind if the union lost. And it was just, you know, a good goal by Cincinnati. But to see a goal that's a game winner in the fi- in stoppage time, because that's the other part of it, that you give up a goal in the waning minutes of the game, it's hard to come back from that. And it, to me, was clearly an offside play. That's where I'm like... You've got to be kidding me. It's been that kind of a year for the Philadelphia Union where it's like anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Um, And as you mentioned, most importantly, the two of us are inseparable. Apparently, we're just on every show together. The real dynamic duo here, right here. But uh, Tyler, I agree with you. I just feel like it was kind of like that hit to the to the gut because you're like, oh, this is how. This is how the 2023 season is coming to an end with a goal that is extremely controversial. And I had the exact same response as you, and I'm curious to know if others did as well. And, you know, I'm sure many people did. I did not feel like VAR was that long. I've been on broadcasts for the NWSL and on different broadcasts, and they take their time. They look at it from multiple angles. It usually takes a significant amount of time, especially at that point of the game. It's a playoff game. It's the final minutes. It's obviously the deciding call whether that goal stands or not. And it did feel very dismissive. And I didn't like that because I feel like we didn't see enough evidence to for sure say it was onside because I don't think they took enough time to actively look at it. And I, I'm obviously not looking at the screen that the officials are looking at, but we're just getting the replay. I wanted to see it from multiple angles. We just saw it from Murphy's pass. We saw it from um, kind of a sideline view. And the sideline view is the one that I saw as offside. And I just, I know in soccer, as someone that's that's called a number of these games, if there's not enough to overturn the initial call on the field, it will stand. But I actually felt like in this scenario was the opposite, where there was enough even though it wasn't clear and concise to some, because to me, I felt pretty concise and obvious. I thought there was enough that you could see he is offside and the initial call should not stand because he's absolutely in an offside position as the ball is being played. So all the drama of 2023, and we come down to this, Tyler, of looking at where the play is, and this is it. And the other part is, as you're looking at this, you obviously have to keep in mind when the ball is being played. And so I was irritated because I don't know why we didn't get a nice slow-mo version or a better slow-mo version of the play unfolding with it leaving from Murphy uh, where Murphy is in the run. Because I felt like if you look at that picture again, and Tyler, if you can flash it up one more time, you see number 32, Murphy is in a position behind the back line of the union. There is nobody else behind him. And so to me, you are right there. You're offside. And then when they showed it in the game, they also showed the initial pass being played in. And it felt like the ball, you could see some separation between the foot and the ball. Tyler, I don't know. Yeah, We've been around the game long enough. That looked offside.
0: Yeah, And the the one thing that I think a lot of people are going back to is you have to, you're, you're trying to match up like, Carranza's right foot with his left foot or his, his right foot, the arm extended. Now the, the arm, at least the hand is not supposed to be part of that call. Um, but it, it, and I, listen, I understand that it, you know, you, you are looking at a ton of factors where when the ball was struck, that screenshot that we took may not have been exactly when the ball was struck, but that Mm -hmm. to me was the definitive shot, at least on the replay. Now I was out, you know, with a bunch of people, uh, you know, watching the game and the uproar, like just the, the sheer, like, what are we doing? Because listen, anytime you root for the team that you root for, you're going to immediately look for the call to go in your favor, whether it's a call right. or a no call, you're going to look for that call to go in your favor. And the first view, when we watched it live, no one called for it because mm-hmm. it was bang, bang. It happened real quickly. And it was just a despondent feel. And then we went, hold on, wait a minute. And then you could see, you know, there was probably a hundred, hundred and fifty people at the place that I was at. Everybody's <laughs> hand went up. Like oh, they yeah. were, you know, like oh, they yeah. had the flag. And they watch then you watch the replay, and that's where the groans happen. And and to me, what bothers me more is not it's not the no call versus the call. Because if if like in like in the NFL, it's all the same. V A R, yeah. instant replay, whatever it is, you if you have indecisive evidence you go with the call on the field right what bothers me is the quick reaction to it and how quickly they said yep we're cool let's move on Mm -hmm. that's the bothersome part to me and that's where like i dropped i'm trying to objectively watch this game and i went into union fandom yep and that for me right there is if you break me into that then we've got to talk about the decision on the field
1: yeah. Yeah. That honestly is what had me the most upset. It felt very quick and dismissive. And it was like this is a this is this is a, a call that is either sending FC Cincinnati to the Eastern Conference Finals or the Philadelphia Union possibly having a chance, you know, if things are tied up to at least win things in overtime. And instead it was a quick decision to just move on. And like you said, in live action, I agree. It happened so fast because Murphy Ian Murphy had a great first touch, uh, plays it right away. And off of that, your son Mascara was able to finish it in a quick two touches. It was like bang, bang. But off of the pass by Alvaro Boreal to Murphy, when you really slow-mo it, it's not a quick and easy decision. You know, some, so the other side of it is a lot of times you'll see VAR happening because it's a goal. It's late. And they're just reviewing it just because, you know, they're almost like it's it's a situation. And I've seen some of those goals where it's like there's no way anybody was offside, but they're still going to do their due diligence because VAR exists to take time to review it. That I understand when it's a quick decision. And even those aren't quick. They still take time to look at it from every angle. And I think that's where I struggle with being on broadcasts and you're in the conversation and you're seeing them review it from every single angle and they're taking you know, five, 10 minutes to review it versus this, which was a very, very quick review. And I still don't feel like we, like, I want to see it slowed down off of um, Alvaro's foot. I want to see the slow down movement zoomed in on, on both. I want to see like the, time, the the run for Murphy from multiple angles and not the angle from behind him because you can't see anything there. But it does at least allow you, if you're looking at it from different angles, that now whatever is decided on the field you feel better about. But that's what irks me because I don't feel like the officials took their time to do their due diligence. It seems very dismissive of it's a goal. And and there were enough camera angles to see it to know whether or not it was on side or offside. JP in the chat, we miss you, buddy. Happy to have you back later this week. Uh, but listen, it's frustrating. Hit that thumbs up. Make sure you're doing the conversation because uh, we definitely have a lot more to get into about the game specifically. We will circle back. This conversation about offside or not offside is not done yet because we've definitely got more to get into about that specifically. Uh, But listen, it is also Cyber Monday. As much as we are very upset today, it is still Cyber Monday. And with Cyber Monday, there's some great deals, including one right here at PHOY. So you can check out our Cyber Monday deal where you get 25% off the entire website head over to phlylocker.com you get 25 percent off we've got a lot of new merch that's dropped some um tyrese maxi shirts fletcher cox shirts we've got some sickos and bleed green we of course have our union shirt in the bottom corner you can see for those that are watching live for anybody watching back on our podcast platforms or listening back you can head over to our website and see it for yourself But Locker.com, if you spend over $75, you also get a $15 gift card. So you're saving today and you're saving for next time. And the prices are already great. Hoodies, T-shirts, all of your favorite Philly sports teams. So, again, take advantage of our Cyber Monday deal that we've got because it's still happening, guys. It's still happening through the rest of today that you can be able to take advantage. I love a good Cyber Monday deal, Tyler. I don't know about you. I'm all about it. Are you a Cyber Monday guy? See,
0: here's the problem with Cyber oh, no. Monday for me. <laughs> I am the definitive last minute shopper. Like, so two years ago okay. was the worst of the worst. So my wife and I got married in December, uh, two years ago. And so we got married. It was, all, it was nothing but wedding stuff, right? As, mm-hmm. as it happens when you get married. And then we went on our honeymoon. And so we got back and it was like December 12th, 13th or something like that. Okay. And I looked at her and I went, you know what I just realized? I haven't bought a single Christmas gift. I am so, <laughs> so screwed. And then I said to her, I'm never doing this again. And then, of course, I do because I'm a procrastinator. And uh, so I think cyber, our Cyber Monday deals are great, but here's my problem. I am a procrastinator. So I'm going to be the guy who's in – You know, I have to go in store because it's too late to ship, and I'm that guy. That's my problem.
1: Don't be that guy, guys. Don't be, don't be that guy. Don't wait until the last minute. Although sometimes I usually wait until like a week or so before and then I'm doing like expedited shipping or because I don't go to, I don't like going yeah, and to see, store. See, that's
0: the thing. I'm not paying for that. See, that's not and happening. I'd
1: rather pay extra for the expedited shipping than go into the store because if I go in the store, I'm buying extra. So I'm like, either I'm going to pay extra for the expedited shipping or I'm going to go in the store and I'm going to pick up about five or six other things I don't actually need that I'm going to justify that I need. So I'd rather sacrifice and pay for the expedited shipping. But now I'm trying to be better. There is a Cyber Monday deal. Of course, there are also other deals you can take advantage of, like FOCO, for example. Our partner's there. They've got some great merchandise for you as well. And over at FOCO, they've got all your favorite teams, sports, bobbleheads, collectibles, apparel. Uh, They've got hats, sunglasses. So head over to FOCO. Use the code PHLY10. To get 10% off of your purchase, it is on the bottom of your screen over here. It is also, again, for those listening, P-H-L-Y-10 at FOCO. Gets you 10% off so you can go rep your favorite players, teams, um, and that way you can make sure that you can, you know, rock out and and have your favorite merchandise that you're wearing when you head over to the field, the ballpark, and wherever else you're watching. So that's over at FOCO. Now, let's not be last-minute procrastinators. Um... Let's make sure that we are shopping early this year. And I have a feeling we're going to see some early shopping for the union as well. We're not getting into that yet, but this offseason, we will have plenty of PHOY union conversation. And we will have a chance to dive into all of the offseason moves, discussions, because I'm sure there's going to be a lot. So there will probably be some shopping going on this offseason for the union as well. And that makes me nervous and excited and very much nervous at the same time. All right, well, listen, plenty to unpack from this past Saturday's loss, and it definitely was frustrating. Uh, Some positives that we had, a lot of negatives, though, unfortunately, especially the biggest negative, that blunder in terms of the controversial goal. But now also it makes you think, is this the last time we're going to see blank in a Union jersey? And fill in the blank with whatever name you want, because it makes me nervous it could be almost anybody. Uh, But we do have a great guest joining us today, Charles Boehm who is a freelance writer and editor. He's contributed work with MLS soccer, U.S. soccer, been in a lot of different uh, major league soccer coverage over the years. That's a fantastic job, has worked with a number of different outlets. And we're excited to have him join us in just a couple moments here on the show. And uh, Charles is going to be able to weigh in because I'm curious to know other's thoughts as well. I know personally, I'm like, I don't know if it's just me being biased, but I look at it from the other side. What would I, you know, if I wasn't a union fan, how would I feel? And I still feel the same way. I still think that it was a situation where we, unfortunately, um, you know, got the wrong side of a VAR. It just. All
0: right. See that, that what you just did right there is like the landscape of union fans. The the last 48 (laughs) hours. It's just like, because quite frankly, I I know that this is going to sound harsh, Renee, but like at this point, with the way that the season unfolded and you end up as the what the four seed mm-hmm. because of a string of two months straight of you know what is it eight consecutive draws oh, or whatever it was geez. and then a couple of losses that you look back on and wish you could have back you end up as the four seed and people are wondering is this team not as good as they were in years mm-hmm. past and then they go and they take care of business against the revs and they do what they need to do right. and you draw fc cincinnati which is an ugly draw for you no matter where you play, because they match up well with you, and this was the game that we expected, right? It was the the knockdown, drag out, mm-hmm. back and forth, low scoring. I think you guys had what two one. Um, yeah, you know, like what? Like you did it,
1: say one nothing, Tyler. It,
0: I'm not taking credit for that. I don't, I don't even want. I wish I was wrong.
1: I wish you were wrong too.
0: I wish I was wrong. I don't want to take credit for that. But like, it was exactly the game that we expected. But to me, it almost feels like it was one of those games where it felt avoidable. Mm. Like, would you have rather had gone to Columbus or Orlando as opposed to go to Cincinnati? Almost assuredly. Right. So like, I look back at all of those things collectively and now I'm sitting here left scratching my head and and all of the rumors that are happening. And and like you talked about, it could be literally anybody that you're, that is, is on the move in the, the, you know, this off season. And I look back on it and I, I, the, the gut feeling for me is this was a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Or I shouldn't say an opportunity, a wasted, uh, is it it an entire year where you play 50 plus games, a a wasted season? I don't
1: know. Uh, I'm going to say maybe missed opportunity. Let's see if we can bring Charles in here. Hopefully everything is working. Sometimes technology is not kind to us. Um, Charles is in a, a dark screen. I don't know if maybe Charles, your camera is blocked or not on, but I think I can hear you at least.
2: Am I coming through on the mic at least?
1: I can hear you, yes. But unfortunately, is your camera covered with something possibly?
2: No, I don't know. I don't know what's up. I'm uh, I'm using a. Make sure uh,
1: your camera's on for the in the bottom. If like, like I'm troubleshooting as we go.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know. Sorry, guys. I'm I'm I've I've made all the permissions. I've done all the this, that, and the other. So bear with me, (laughs) trying to check every little last detail here.
1: Yes. Well, while you're doing that, um, I'm going to I'm going to fill you in, uh, Charles, because at least for our podcast listeners, they don't know any different. They can still hear your great voice. Welcome, Charles. <laughs> um, I know in the bottom, there's usually a button to turn the mic, the camera on and off, just like there's the mute button, similar to kind of zoom. So hopefully you're able to finagle that and play around with that. I like the fact that if I had to choose that we can at least hear you and we don't see you, um, if that's better than us not hearing you and being able to see you, I guess. So it's like you're calling in. We're basically becoming a radio show, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) But while we troubleshoot that and see if we can get that working, um, for those that are tuning in, I know Dominic's in the chat as well. Three semifinal losses in one season has been rough. Yes, oh, it's been a semifinal drought or frustrating time in Philly, um JP's talking about the terrible way this season has come to an end so on the show we've been saying we feel robbed a little bit the for the union specifically as a union fan anybody watching it feels like this you know this already controversial season controversial end of the regular season everything with Kai everything with Ali to add insult to injury after beating the Revs and and taking that series in two the union go into FC Cincinnati and in Queen City a back and forth game, so ups and downs, and then a controversial goal that ends up uh, being the difference. So Charles, while you are benagling, and I know our uh, production <laughs> team's also going to probably shoot you a message to see if we can fix it, what are your initial thoughts on Saturday's game between the Union and FC Cincinnati as an unbiased party?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I do have a lot of empathy for for Union fans uh, who feel hard done by because, it was a, it, you know, we, we can, we've gone around and around about the offside decision. Uh, I think that you're just within the margin for error here. Uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm sure you, a lot of fans, maybe you guys noticed, um, there's a, an account that does uh, something called photogrammetry. Um, the account is mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter is at Offside Modeling. And they, they created a, 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 they did their best to create as accurate uh, down to the inches uh, estimation of whether Murphy was offside on the on the game winning goal and as far as they can tell um, he was they think he was offside by about two inches actually a little less or sorry a little less than three inches two inches two and 15 16 inches um, with, with up against Julian Carranza uh, on that play mm-hmm. so yeah I mean we like the, so for one thing I would say you have to the the AR the assistant referee on that side under the VR system they are instructed to keep their flag down in that situation because It's it's that tight, it's that close to 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 being on that they are supposed to let the play continue and then let the VAR crew sort it out afterwards. So I understand why they kept the flag down. Then when you look at the into the review, I think they just you know we were told that they had an angle more definitive than what we had on the broadcast that showed that he was onside or that there was too much doubt for it to be clear and obvious error. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. the Apple broadcast did not show that. So I was a little frustrated with that. I know a lot of fans, or even from a neutral perspective, if there's a definitive angle out there that the crew is able to see, it would be great to show that to the broadcast, right? So everyone can at least know. You may not agree with it, but this was the decision that was made. So that's frustrating. Mm -hmm. I wish we had more cameras. I think we're still in the first year of this Apple TV partnership one of the big uh, um, selling points of that long-term partnership was that Apple was going to be giving the full Apple treatment, right? The full immersive treatment to the games. And so I have a feeling that maybe there's some camera angles out there that uh, we didn't see or that maybe just haven't been fully installed in the first year of the deal that maybe we'll get a more definitive angle in that situation. All that being said, as much empathy as I have for fans uh, in Philly who feel like they got hard done by, the defending on the play was was very ununion, right? So so Carranza in the first place, yes. you have your your striker keeping the key player onside. You have a number of players ball watching on the, in the box. You have a really disorganized approach to marking. You don't have a clear back line set. I mean there's not there's not an organized set of box set piece defending happening there. Not just on the initial delivery into the box, but then also the second ball that Murphy heads down for Mosquera to finish for the game winner. To me, that was uncharacteristic Philadelphia Union's whole model is based on controlling the controllables, handling the basics of the game, uh, and then winning the other areas of the game, especially up front by the, the tight margins that their system is built around. So, so for me, this was a, a very uncharacteristic error, which, which I'm sure doesn't make anyone feel better up in Philly, right? But the reality is they really let themselves down and they left themselves exposed to the vagaries a VAR and really tight off side decision. I mean, if you can really say you're certain that you did everything you could control, I would disagree with that because, you know, it's a three inch call, but you didn't defend well on the play. And, and that I think has to be the biggest disappointment for the players and the, and the coaches.
1: And that is the part Charles, I completely agree with, because I always say, especially as someone that's been in plenty of games that have come down to the wire and it's, a questionable call that either goes in your favor or doesn't go in your favor, uh, that you don't want to even let it get to that point. You know, you as a player and and for Jim Curtin all the way through, for the union specifically, you shouldn't even let it get to the point where you have the ability to blame it on the officials and have the ability to say, we think he was offside. You know, there were, there were chances on both sides earlier throughout the game that could have been... Goals. Should have been goals. You know, don't even let it get to that point that now it comes down to a controversial play in the final minutes of of play and in stoppage time, no less. And I know Dominic in the chat is saying, similar to what we've talked about, Dominic feels like it wasn't clear and obvious, so you're fine with the result as a goal. Um, You can't lose marks in the box, similar to what you're talking about, Charles, and Ua has to finish one of those two chances in the first half. When you really take a step back for as frustrating as, as that series was, it just shouldn't even have gotten there. And I watched it too, and I thought, when I'm looking back at the replay, because I was like, how is it, how is Murphy so open? How is Mascara so open? When you look back, as you're mentioning, Charles, it's a lot of standing around. You know, Julian Carranza is the one that's, that's the, the, the furthest back, back, back defender. Back. Daniel back <laughs> in the mix. For the Union defensive as a whole, that was not a good play. Nobody's marked up. Um, Mascara's also wide open in a, in a position where he was able to, in two touches, Two touches to finish. He didn't have, when I look at like the Columbus crew game, for example, where it was like the goal that uh, the first goal Columbus scored is a ball driven across the box that everybody's just running and it just deflects and bounces in. It wasn't that type of a goal. He actually had time to settle and finish in the box on the sixth. So while it's very annoying that that goal was not, that the initial play for Murphy was not called offside, the marking was bad. Shouldn't even have gotten to that point. What even led to that, that uh, play happening, the set piece, the, you know, everything that happened beforehand shouldn't have happened. And so can't play the blame, blame game, essentially, because at the end of the day, the union should have taken care of business. So with that part, Charles, I do agree with you, but it is still frustrating when you say over two inches margin uh, that Murphy was in an offside position because I I definitely think he was offside. But...
2: Can you hear me? I switched over. Hopefully, you guys can see my bugling mug uh, on the broadcast now. If you can bring that in, I have switched devices, so maybe this helps. Hopefully, it doesn't. Yeah, am I coming through okay?
1: We were gonna we were gonna give it a shot really quickly, um, and see if it's working. All right, but. While we're doing either way, we put your we put your picture up for now. People can at least take a a look at your picture while we're fixing on the uh, video side. I know Tyler's always working hard at it. We have our production team that's working to fix that. But either way, Charles, you're making some great points coming right, coming right into the show, dropping some great points and perspective, because I do always agree. I'm, I'm not one that likes to blame the officials. I do feel like the game itself is very physical, as we expected. It was very back and forth. Both teams had chances, uh, but Uwa definitely jumps out. There we are. Hello there, buddy. Nice to see you. I know it's always a super tight shot on these. (laughs) It like zooms in. There you go. Slide to the left. Slide to the right. Uh, Thank you for sticking this out and making it work. It's a pleasure having you on the show. Now I feel like I can officially welcome you guys. Here he is. Charles Boehm, dear friend of mine. We go back years now. Uh, I'm so glad we were able to make this happen.
2: Yes. Thank you for having me. And listen, I wish, uh, um, I have to stay neutral, uh, in my, uh, with my national outlook, but, uh, I've really developed a fondness for, for the union fan base and, and the project that is, you know, the, the modern union. And so, um, it, it's, it's, ref- it's a moment of reflection, I think for everybody, I, I know, maybe sadness is the right word from my perspective, but I'm certainly, um, uh, kind of, you know, a little down, uh, subdued, so I guess I would say, thinking about kind of where, where the project is, because I'm sure you guys have talked about it. The, the narrative around this club right now is that uh, this offseason is going to be significant changes. Uh, right now it's unknowns. We'll see maybe less will happen than, than, than people are bracing for. Um, but it's, uh, it, it feels like, on you know, first blush, the current kind of iteration of the union is changing, or, or you know, this kind of kind of competitive window is closing, or at least something is evolving. We'll, we'll see who gets sold and and who doesn't. um uh, On the sort of more balanced side of things, I think this is a a model that by nature is built on on turnover, right? So you know, the Aronson brothers uh came up, contributed, and were sold. um Mark McKenzie, Austin trustee players like that—they contributed and moved on, and and that that is a reality of the of, of the business. When you know, when you look around the world. All but the very biggest clubs in the world are um, are selling players on, are making tough decisions. Um, so I think it's um, it's a fascinating offseason ahead. I was really taken aback, I think, by the strength of Jim Curtin's words in his post-game press conference, um, really going about for Ale Badoya. Really, I thought, sort of um, almost defiant, uh, I think, in his, uh, without mentioning Ernst Stanner's name, um, you know, making it pretty clear that they have a, a difference of opinion on whether Ali Badoya, the captain, should come back uh, for one more year or, or not. And, um, I would just, you know, I, I certainly would bring him back for, for another year, um, but I think I can see the genius of the thinking on the part of Tanner and his staff, which is that, you know, again, Jim always talks about the tight margins, right? This system is designed to maximize the value of everyone in it uh, and to compete against richer clubs that spend more money without, without having to, to get into a spending race. And I'm sure he's looking at Bedoya's age and profile and saying, you know, it's better to cut ties a year too early than a year too late and strictly in in, in sort of individual performance metrics. Uh, But I think that perspective, while that's good for business in general, in this specific case, I think you're really doing, you're risking doing damage to the chemistry of the locker room the relationship that the club has with its fan base so really intrigued to see what happens there because I think uh, I think Bedoya's got more to give and I think he's going to be key if you say goodbye let's say Carranza gets sold uh, let's say Jack McGlynn is going to get sold in in a year in, in under a year um, let's put it that way maybe other other comings and goings a, a, a figure like Bedoya can be really useful for some continuity
1: Oh, gosh, Charles. Uh, listen, that has been the consistent conversation we've been having here on the show at PHOI Union Podcast. But also, you know, for all of us, it's been, why? does Why does this need to happen? Why are we have you know, why, why was this something that came out during the international break and the final part of the regular season as the Union already had a stretch and series of draws that now on top of the Kai Wagner initial issue was the contract an extension, now we're also getting an Ali league. Um, But before we even get into Ali Bedoya, Jim Curtin's comments, Daniel Gosdog's comments, uh, I do want to take a quick step back and look at the fact of the matter in terms of stats. I know we have some stats I want to take a look at from this past weekend's loss, because before we even talk about the future, when you look at the current model, the question is, do the union have the pieces to be able to compete? Because when you look at you know, Nate Harrell, Jack McGlynn, a lot of the young players, Quinn Sullivan, who came, who comes in late. Um, you look at the youth, that's what they've added. You look at Jose Martinez, who goes down injured in the game, which was frustrating to see. Of course, Bueno comes in for him. but Martinez had been playing very well sitting in the midfield and just helping, in, especially defensively. And the union overall did do a good job as past, I said, the first half. Tyler feels like the first 20 minutes. The second half was a shift. The Union definitely got better. So let's take a look at some of the stats from the game because it was a very, it was a very even back and forth game. The Union actually outshot FC Cincinnati. Of course, and FC Cincinnati did have more shots on target and did outpossess the Union. The Union consistently have been outpossessed in a majority of their games, though, unfortunately. Uh, so the overall stats, it was a very physical game, as we expected. Every game between these two have been very physical. I expected nothing different from this one. I think I was reading it was 29 cards in the last five meetings between these two teams, 12 in their last time they played in that 2-2 draw. Always a physical game. And very back-and-forth, corners, offsides, um, you know, in favor of... The union actually had less offside by no surprise, but okay, we're going to let that, we're going to let that live as it is. But overall the union did at least generate offensive chances, just weren't able to finish because when you look at the expected goals, now that's where things get a little bit hairy. So for the expected goal stats and Tyler, if you can flash it up really quickly while we work on Charles coming back, um, the expected goals that we had for the union at FC Cincinnati was the Union had chances that Michael Uwa uh, chance, both of them, the ones that jump out to mind, um, in their four shots on target and their total 16 shots, uh, one total team expected goal that they should have had at least one. And so this is a team that did compete. They did create. They did have offensive chances, and so they weren't able to finish, which has been the consistent problem for the Philadelphia Union the majority of the season last year offensive numbers through the charts this year offensively daniel gazdag julian carranza michael ua quinn sullivan ty bariba whoever's in the mix unable to finish that hunger in the final third was not there this season so before we even talk about the future what do you think in your opinion as that neutral unbiased perspective uh that you're bringing what do you think was the difference for the Union this season, and why they were never able to get their offense clicking to be able to turn that corner?
2: Well, so part of it, I think, is is the conventional wisdom is that reliable chance creation and goal scoring is the most expensive commodity in world soccer, right? So, you know, clubs are accustomed to having to spend the most, especially in MLS, where the salary model and, and the salary cap situation really strongly incentivizes you to spend more on your attack. And that's why we tend to have a kind of an attacking-oriented, wide-open league traditionally. Um, and so when you're the union or a club like the union that wants to ball on a budget, you have to find a way to to build value. And I think that's certainly part of why the identity of this team has become so defensive-oriented, right? Because you can, you can find value, you can do the sort of we'll call it Philly Moneyball thing in in that sense more um, consistently and and more easily in, in the, your, you know, your defensive third and in the midfield Um, and control, right? I mean, the the whole system, the formation, everything about the the tactics is based on trying to control matches in a way that keeps them tight, that keeps matches from spinning kind of out into the track meets and, um, and so, you know, they've done really well. I think they sort of financed their own attacking upgrades over the last few years. You know, the sales of the, of the players you talked about before have helped pay for the investment in Ua and, um, and then Julian Carranza and in Gazak as well. I and mean, Carranza was an incredible pickup. I mean, they really just exploited Miami's chaos uh, in the first couple of years of their existence to get an incredible deal on a really good player. The, the, you can only do that for so long before I think the word starts to get out and, your fellow general managers start to get a little suspicious, right? And so I'm sure when Ernst Tanner picks up the phone uh, and, and expresses interest or, or explores doing deals around MLS, that it, it makes uh, other clubs think twice maybe, especially within the conference. Um, so there's a little bit of sort of declining return on, on your investment there, in your margins. Um, and so the, the question is now, do they have enough money – socked away to go make more of those bigger investments. Um is an interesting one because we haven't really seen much of him. He seemed like he was a Carranza level um at least competitor, right? At least a candidate for minutes and, and maybe a long term successor. So, you know, it's when do you sell, right? And and they certainly they need I, I don't expect that there's going to be any kind of angel investor coming online to join Jay Sugarman in the ownership group anytime soon. So so you've got to pay for the next big big buy if there is one with a good price for Carranza so that means and then then you get into the vagaries of the windows and and the international market you tend to have a more dynamic active market and a better chance of a big sale in the summer window so then you're looking at okay starting the the season with your one of your best attackers maybe arguably your your go-to striker uh, kind of uh, with the meter running a little bit, and have having to know that you're going to have to make a shift in midseason, or maybe you go out and find a way to do the deal this winter, and, and then all the psychological stuff that plays in the, into players' heads and the squads' heads, you know, all that stuff going on. I mean, I'm really intrigued to see uh, what the what the pipeline looks like. I mean, we've talked, and I've written a lot and praised a lot the the Philly Academy model, but we're we're seeing a little bit less, uh, I think, of, of of the the pipeline volume in the last year or two. So is Quinn Sullivan ready to make the big step up, right? Is he is even he going to play up front? We've seen him mostly in attacking roles. Maybe he plays deeper as he becomes a regular starter. Um, and then, of course, the Olympics, too. I mean, uh, you know, I'm intrigued by Jack McGlynn. I think he was really an X factor with this team over the last year or so. He was a, a player who brought something different. Uh, and I know we're talking about the attack specifically, but he brought a different passing vision and an incredible range of, of distribution that was unlike almost anyone else on the roster. So he could be gone as soon as this winter. He, they could hang on to him until the Olympics to try and you know, see if he makes the Olympic squad and, and plays a big role at the Paris Summer Games next summer. And then, but, but I mean, I think the clock's always ticking on that kid because he, he's, he's special. You want to get the maximum return on your investment by selling when he's still young. And so then how do you replace that? Then you, do you go back to sort of more limited type of passing profiles? Um, Leon Fock, for example, is a really useful player, but he just doesn't bring the range of passing that that McLean does. And, and then do you, you start to talk about more fundamental conversations? Do you have to change the formation? Do you have to, to readjust some of the fundamentals to open things up to create more chances and, and to finish with more efficiency? Uh, but, you know, that's what it all comes down to. This whole conversation re- revolves on efficiency. How can you get the most out of what you have, the most goals out of the out of the chances you create? And that's just going to be, I think, an ongoing challenge unless fundamentals change for the union.
1: Man, uh, so many things, so many factors to weigh into this. You talk about Jack McGlynn and his passing ability. We do have some of the, when you look at some of the passing numbers from this past Saturday, uh, you know, Tyler, I believe we have those numbers as well for the passing numbers. Jack McGlynn is a big reason why the union have at times been able to, you know, get into the attack. Jose Martinez, another big part of that, uh, looking at their overall passing percentage, um, you know, 81.5 attacking half percentage, uh, the union d- and the final third as well did a good job with that crossing percentage, 16.7% of their crosses that are connecting. So they're they're in the attacking third, final third, creating, connecting, but it just is not that next level execution that they're, we're seeing an efficient type of an attack. So they're connecting their passes as they're progressing up the field, but it's never really dangerous enough when you look at this season as a whole. And I was looking at the Columbus Crew-Orlando City game Thinking, gosh, I wish that the union's offense—and I know Tribe Man in the chat is saying the front three was terrible for the union. I wish the front, the, the the union's offense as a whole was able to hold balls and sustain possession in their attacking third. That they're trying it the first time, if it doesn't work. You're recycling. You're working the ball back through, and you're just keeping it. And you saw that Columbus was doing that, and the crew consistently, you know, were able to sustain possession in their attacking third and just making Orlando chase. They were unbalancing them. It was a mixture of some small-range passes, and there were some they were stretching the back line. And Orlando's only real chances were in transition. Now, they had some great transition chances, but their only real chances were in transition or set pieces. I, I love that sophistication level for the union of their middies. They're getting their outside backs forward, and Ambizo, Harriel, whoever's out there. Um, they're, they're just running waves of attack at their opponents and against SC Cincinnati you still did not see that. The front, it was very disconnected. It was very um, reactive at times, and they weren't getting numbers in the box. They weren't getting players into dangerous positions where you can unbalance FC Cincinnati the same way Cincy did against the union on that game-winning goals uh, scored played. So it's definitely um, an area that needs to be improved, but it all goes back to the initial conversation that we continue to have around the union is there's so much focus on the homegrowns That the team is continuously underpaying, which is not allowing them to be able to compete and take that next step. Because when you look at their salary, we talked about on the show, Charles, before, and I know you've seen the numbers, I'm sure. The union are significantly cheaper when it comes to salaries for players compared to other teams. And also their highest players, someone like Uwa, is not performing well. So this homegrown system with the Aaronson brothers and different players over the years has worked. But there has to be more than just relying on these nineteen 20 year old guys to come through the the pipeline and be able to step into the MLS and help you win the MLs cup so it, all this to say, who do you think well let's let's backtrack let's talk with Ali Badoya first do you think because there's a lot here Ali Badoya these are our final days of seeing Ali Badoya I know obviously the contract discussion came out they had that Quick, brief conversation with Ali saying he's not going to be back next year. Jim Curtin, an oppressor, did say um, a, a, a lot about Ali, specifically this screenshot that we have that um, Daniel Gazdag also shared. Alejandro is bigger than anybody that's ever been at this club, myself included. He should 100% be back. Anywhere in the world, the head coach would have a say with what happens with his captain. Daniel Gazdag did uh, take us a, a nice picture of this and post on his story and say, we need him back. No questions. Tagging Ali. Jacob Glessness also was sharing the same uh, post as well that came out of transfermarket.us because Ali Badoya, although in the later part of his career, he passed 200 games played and everything. He's obviously in the later part of his career has been such a big part of this team and to build for the future. Do you think that it makes sense to bring Ali back for maybe one more year or to just let him walk if you're the union.
2: Yeah, and again, I think you have to look at the intangibles here of uh, just the simple fact that there's something approaching a revolt uh, in the, among the squad about it. The players are making themselves uh, known without any question about how they feel. And I mean, I've, I rarely have in my in my many years of covering MLS have I seen a coach go off on the level that Curtin did, and he's not necessarily the type who who. I can think of him often having questioned so explicitly, um, you know, the the judgment and the decision making of someone above him on the organizational uh, ladder. But I think that shows his level of frustration. And now it's almost like you come away from it with more questions than answers, because for Curtin to speak out that bluntly, almost like putting his own job on the line to in an attempt to 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 keep Badoy in the fold that makes me wonder if if he's more disgruntled maybe than he's let on in public up to now uh he's been a hot ca- commodity he's currently under i think he's got two more years on a guarantee uh, guaranteed years on his contract uh but Roy does or sorry Curtin does um so maybe he feels like he has the clout to 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 do this uh and won't risk uh getting into hot water with Ernst Stanner because uh, just because of, you know, the dynamics there. But that, that's another fascinating plot now to, to sort of follow here. And again, I just think there's so much else that's changing. I mean, we, I felt like I pretty should probably, in the context of the uh, attacking discussion, think we should probably be talking more about Kai Wagner because um, as bad a taste as the nature of his um, transgression and, and, and the, the fallout that it caused has left in my mouth and I'm sure in the mouths of a lot of other people, um, he is an integral part of the attack. It, it, he brings something from the, as, a, as an attacking left back, that this quality and consistency of his service, that really was badly missed. And, and we also, I mean, I should also point out, you know, I really thought this was as vulnerable as you could hope to have Cincy uh, in this moment. They were really shorthanded in the back line. Um, I really thought that Philly would find ways, and at times they did in the second half, to, to expose that back three that was so makeshift. With, you know, Philly fans know Ray Gatt as well, right? I mean, he's, he's fundamentally not a center back. He's a veteran. He's smart. He knows he can play the position in a pinch, but that's what it was. It was a pinch. And so this was a really a good chance. And again, I think Curtin's in a tough spot. How do you open up the throttle without undoing so many of the, the strengths that you rely on tactically and, and in terms of your identity? So, you know, is there a, a, a kid in the pipeline who can bring the level of service from wide areas? Uh, that that Wagner can. And to a lesser extent, I think Mbizo can from the right side. I mean, we haven't seen it yet, right? It's not there. I mean, Harriel is, is a great prospect who's come up and is, has brought real contributions. He's, he hasn't yet shown us that he's got uh, an elite level of service. Maybe he can develop that as a daily starter, which I think it's, we're getting into that time, right? Maybe Mbizo, you know, gets uh gets back on the international radar with a good uh, Africa Cup of Nations this winter, and they can, you know, he moves on and you open up a spot for Harrell. But we I mean, especially having to play left back last night, Harrell just not gonna dri- be dropping the type of dimes that that Wagner can and that Mbizo on a good night can. So I think again, so then you go to the the I thought the Philly when they were playing three in the back at times this these last couple of years were really interesting. I don't think Curtain liked the. Uh, the the way that maybe it exposes your 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 defense a little bit more regularly, but I think when you, if you play like something like a three five two, maybe you can get more numbers forward into the attack. You know, maybe you can um, uh, ask different questions, create different movements. Um, but right now, it's just you know they they don't. And, and then the depth p- p- picture too. I mean, we haven't talked about that yet, but when you get into the playoffs and you start to get suspensions and you get injuries and mileage adds up. You have to have a deep bench. And when you look around the league, the teams that are still alive right now, most of them have not only impact elite players in the important positions in the first 11, but they can go deeper and they can get minutes and contributions further down. I just I don't think and we've seen these these big games and and, uh, I think Jim is getting unfairly painted maybe as someone who hasn't come through in the big games. Um, And maybe you could apply that, I think, also unfairly to the entire squad because they've had so many maybes and almost over the last couple of years. But in those moments, your depth does get exposed. And sometimes it's obvious to see and sometimes it's not. But I think they've got to be able to cultivate more of an 18-player mentality maybe than a 14-player mentality, which has kind of been what we've seen lately.
1: And that's something I know, Charles, it's like you've been on the show with us regularly because we talked about that, especially in the midfield. And you see that wear and tear, as we know, there's a lot of games that these MLS clubs are playing, the international games, the league games. It's a lot. And to have to ask your players, the same 13, 14 guys day in and day out for so many games to continue to have to perform at that level, at a high level, is is really difficult to do. And you could see that's where, towards the end of the regular season, which is what had me nervous even heading into the postseason for the union specifically, that players like Daniel Gazdag, they're they're tired. Andre Blake has spoken about it. Ali Bedoya has spoken about it. It's a lot of minutes. We had Julian Carranza on the show. He was talking about it. And so, you know, I do think... This is something where, okay, if there's going to be so many games, you have to build your roster to be able to have, like you mentioned, 18, 19 guys you can rotate in. You know, Jose Martinez goes down and it's like, whoa, who do you put in next? Bueno's been playing all right. Obviously, uh, you know, you you talked about Flock earlier, but the midfield as a whole had no depth for the union specifically. And even for the forward line, they just didn't have enough options that you could consistently rely on. If Julian is not in the game or Gazak's not playing well, who's next to score? So I know in the chat, Dominic, you're talking about uh, it's definitely hard to create chances without Wagner on the field. Absolutely agree with you on that. Harriel uh, doesn't have the skill set yet. You can see he's he's working through. He does add a little more um, in terms of being on the other end of set pieces, but he's not dropping great services into goal-scoring areas like Kai Wagner's doing. And Travman's also talking about the strikers and very frustrated with the strikers as well. Listen, I'm not a big fan of the three-back, but I do like that the three-back with how Damian Lowe's been playing much better. Lowe, Elliott, you get Glesnes back there. Of course, gotta keep him healthy to do that. The three-back would have given them a different look. And I do hope this off-season, as you talk about that multi-year contract extension Jim Curtin signed back in July that extends him through 2026, I hope he continues to be vocal about needing some changes, needing to to do something to mix it up because the union don't have it. It's just not there. The pieces aren't there. The depth isn't there. But also just when you look at the playoffs, creating, scoring, it's not there. And their defense held up a lot of pressure this season. And the team as a whole was under a lot of pressure this season with all that happened off the pitch and on the pitch. So I'm hopeful and thinking that we're going to see an offseason that – allows them to bring in some better players. I know Tribe Man saying in the chat, the youth were actually the best players in the field lately. I actually agree. A lot of those young players, Jack, Nate, they were the Sparks. Donovan with the game winner, they were the Sparks. But you also need to have those veterans that can help balance that out, that are going to give you strong 90-minute performances or whatever role they play. So uh, a lot that needs to be changed, Charles. As we're wrapping up with you on the show here um Obviously, now with the Union knocked out of the MLS Cup playoffs, now we've got Cincinnati and Columbus facing off this Saturday and also LAFC-Houston Dynamo facing off. What are your overall thoughts on the playoff format, the league, the Apple TV deal, everything that we've seen thus far for the 2023 season? It's been a lot of changes. We've seen a lot of international breaks and a lot that's really gone on. What have been your overall thoughts on the season's format as a whole in terms of scheduling, production, VAR, everything when you take a step back and look at it all?
2: Well, I think if I had a a, a thousand, ten thousand foot kind of view, I would say it's we're sort of entering a more money, more problems era. I think, for MLS here. Right. You're getting into big, big boy and big girl problems because um you know, for many years, international breaks weren't a hot topic of conversation because there weren't that many MLS players who were going off and playing for their clubs or their national teams. Now it's a serious problem. And, and the irony is, you know, we, we for much of the regular season, you hear coaches and players and, and fans and pundits bemoan the fact that the league still plays through uh, most of the international windows during the season and then they respect the one that you would think matters the most right which is the 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 one in the playoffs right so um the 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 rhythm that was lost by having this two week break in the middle of the playoffs was because of an international break well do you continue that rhythm and then risk having your best players uh be gone for for key playoff games i mean i think that's really a rock and a hard place situation for the league. Um, you know, you, maybe they shift the format around to try and, and create a different sense of momentum. I mean, coming away from this weekend's games, um, I, I thought there was real tension, real quality on the field, real high stakes, you felt the drama. And and yet, I often wonder, or I was wondering repeatedly, would these be the kind of matchups that we want to have a the three-game series to, to really showcase the best of the best? Maybe the, uh. the early going would be... Uh, a a one game series and then and then we get into three game series later but you you, again you you have to shift not only the playoff uh schedule to do that you have to kind of shift the regular season and figure out how far you can go i mean a couple of years ago before the pandemic the league was really making a strenuous effort to shift everything back to be done in early october with the regular season get everything done before december because there were you know frigid playoff games happening places like toronto where it was uh, 20 degrees outside, and you know that take, takes a toll on fans, much less players and coaches. Um, but you know you can only go so far back into the winter in February to start your season. You can only go so deep into December to finish your season. Where are you going to fit all this stuff in? It's a it's a queen size blanket on a king size bed, and that's that's a, a grown up problem that the league now has to deal with, um, figuring out how to open up the spending reins. Right, I mean Messi was such a game changer. I i I was here when. Beckham came, and, and it was a, uh, this kind of seismic impact on the league of this ca- caliber of player and personality. Messi has, like, blown that out of the water. I mean, I, I've been taken aback. I think even the league and Messi himself were probably taken aback by the scale of impact he had. So I think it's just a matter of time, probably around MLS Cup weekend, um, the Board of Governors is going to be voting on uh, what I expect to be significant changes to the, you know, the the salary budget system and the and the competitive rules. There's talk of a fourth designated player slot. There's talk of dramatic uh, overall lifting of the, the salary budget, you know, into m- many more millions of dollars to spend on the squad. So I think we're going to see it, it definitely evolution, maybe a dramatic step forward for the league in terms of the ambition. And to take it back to the union point of view, that that poses a real uh, almost existential quandary i think for for the union which is can this model this ball on a budget type type approach continue to work if the rest of the league is spending more and more if that gap between the miamis and the phillies is growing what do you get what do you do right can you bring on more ownership can you find more more ways to to invest can you Ramp up the player sales to try and re- bring in more money. I mean, there, there's um, there's a lot of good things that are going to come out of this, but there's definitely going to be some disruption.
1: Charles, you are preaching out here, mo' money, mo' problems, but this underdog mentality that the union have had, how long can you continue to be the cheap team on the block that's trying to compete with the clubs that are spending millions of dollars to bring in players like Messi? Uh, listen, Charles, you've said, again, like I said earlier, I feels like you've been here. Apparently, everybody's on the same page, because you just jumped in the show today, and you've been saying the same things we've been saying on the show, too, about the schedule, the formatting the league as a whole, the union. And so it's been such a pleasure having you on. And as we get into the offseason, we'll have many more of these same conversations. So I would love to have you back on again so we can deep dive some of these areas that uh, we want to see change. Because apparently the MLS should just hire us, is what it sounds like. Because we know, <laughs> we know what to be, what needs to be changed. So Charles, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Which is that, to, to, to put it more positively, I know Philly fans are, are hurting right now. But let's let's rewind a few years, right? I mean, I've been using this phrase half decade. This has been an incredible half decade of consistent competitiveness, of really uh, likable, um, tough teams that embodied this the the spirit of Philly and the region and the people. And when you think about think, go back to to the Nick Saban days or the uh, the days of of the Sons of Ben uh, doing a public funeral, right, with a, carrying a coffin on their shoulders uh, into the tailgate to to mourn the death of their their club and their competitiveness. I mean, when I think about those bad old days and to where things are now, again, there are problems, but they're the kind of problems you want uh, rather than the bad old days.
1: I could not agree more, Charles. That's a great positive spin to put on it. It hasn't been that long since the union got their first ever playoff win as a club. And here we are since then supporters shield, uh, MLS cup finalists, mls just playoff is the is the not even the bar anymore so that about itself says how much this Jam, team talk has cap, man.
2: Talk to cap in just cap, few just a couple of months here they're going to be playing again in the national competition
1: mm-hmm. bingo bingo so a lot of positives to take away once for union fans you get done licking your wounds uh because there's a lot of positives take away from this and i'm positive that you brought a lot of insight to the show today and i appreciate that and so uh charles make sure you also before you go plug where everybody can check out all the great work you do for u.s soccer for the mls all that you've got going on because charles you do a fantastic job in your soccer coverage
2: uh that's very kind of you so um i'm on mlssoccer.com ussoccerplayers.com occasionally soccer america other outlets you can go to twitter at cboehm and i'm also over on blue sky as well uh so uh so hit me up and, and drop a line whenever
1: well, thank you, Charles. Looking forward to having you back on the show in the future. I'm glad this worked out so we could be able to also see you when you were dropping these nuggets and preaching on us. Uh, but it's been a pleasure having you here to weigh in on the union as well as the MLS Cup playoff format as a whole.
2: Cheers! Thanks, Renee.
1: Thank you, thank you. All right, guys, be sure to give Charles a follow. Um, listen, it's it's fitting that his last name rhymes with poem because it was very poetic in a lot of the and vi- some of the things he was saying, um, and also. As we know, because the union get knocked out of the playoffs, it's going to be a long time before we've got another game time. But don't worry, because the Game Time app will always have you covered. And whether that's going to see a soccer game, any sports game, a concert, a comedy show, maybe now in the off you go see some more comedy shows or go see your favorite singers in concert. Head over to the Game Time app. Use that code PHLY to get $20 off of your purchase. And at the Game Time app, they make it nice and easy for you to find your seats, also, check out where your seats are going to be and be able to have a nice uh view going into that concert game or comedy show of where you and your buddies will be sitting to enjoy the event. So head over to the game time app. Again, code P-H-O-Y gets you $20 off. And also, um, as we're while we're talking about all the excitement of the postseason, the union could have used a hero. And uh, you know where you could use a hero? Over at Hero Bread. So at Hero Bread, you have a chance to eat healthy, delicious options. Hero Bread provides you with high fiber, low net carbs, zero gram sugar per slice, rolls, bread, tortillas, buns, all types of different options that fit whatever your lifestyle needs are. If you've got allergies, if you're on a diet, whatever your lifestyle needs are, Hero has it for you, So over at Hero.co, you can be able to purchase some great bread options. You can eat some delicious fluffy bread that's also nutritious and healthy for you. So this holiday season, you can eat right and eat healthy with Hero bread. Again, over at Hero.co, use code PHLY to get 10% off. Now, Charles Boehm just joined us, freelance writer and editor for MLS um, and as well as U.S. Soccer with some great nuggets a lot to unpack this hour just flew by and thank you guys for tuning in live and for those that are tuned in on podcast platforms afterwards and on our show on Thursday we'll also do another deep dive into the game there's a lot to unpack as we recap the season as we recap the game Um, and just looking ahead towards the future for the union now Tyler before we wrap up um, I know Charles said some really great things about the positive spin Ali Bedoya was on the show with us earlier this um, fall and was saying how he remembers the first ever Philadelphia Union playoff game. You know, the first time they won in the playoffs. They also have only had one ever road playoff victory, and that was against the Revs. And that just happened this past, in the, in the first round of the playoffs. So they're still making postseason history. Obviously, last year's run to the MLS Cup was historic in itself. But overall, are you feeling better about The State of the Union, uh, given these bigger-picture types of perspective, thoughts?
0: Well, I I think I am compared to where they were, like you said, six, seven, eight years ago. Of course you are. Like, you're talking about a team that um, was basically left for dead and they have had nothing but success and you could say they've not gotten to the ultimate goal and it's very difficult to win a championship in any sport mm-hmm. but the the overall overall success of this team over the last five seasons I mean you talk about CONCACAF appearances and MLS cup finals a supporter shield um, mm-hmm. big big playoff wins after what was just like heartbreaking loss after heartbreaking loss right they win the supporter shield they lose to New England the next year they get to the Eastern Conference finals. They have the unfortunate, you know, COVID outbreak. The mm-hmm. following year, they finally get over the hump and they get to the MLS Cup. You lose in the MLS Cup. But all of these things that we just mentioned, all of those heartbreaking fashion losses, and you can include Saturday night as one of them, I think you would take over being the current. Colorado Rapids, Oof. who are a disgrace. You would take <laughs> over being the Chicago Fire of, the, of two, three years cool. ago. You would take over being some of these clubs that are in disarray right now to be one of the most consistent teams in the MLS over the last couple of seasons.
1: Very, very true. And bigger picture, not only did they lose with a goal that happened in stoppage time, it took the up until the final minutes for somebody to finally score. You lost to FC Cincinnati the top seed the supporter shield but also the team that not only has the defensive player of the year and Matt Miazga and the coach of the year in Pat Noonan but also the MVP because as of just a couple hours ago uh, Luciano Acosta was named MLS MVP for the 2023 season received over 60 percent of the votes amongst player media and technical staff to be named MVP so when you look at it that way you are losing to a team that is the favorite. If you if there is a favorite, it would of course on paper be FC Cincinnati, and it was a hard-fought game, a lot of back and forth, uh, definitely some good plays that the Union could have capitalized on and scored, but it does uh, make me wish that this was a best of three series. And I said this: it's weird to have a wild card round, a best of three series, and then go to single game elimination when it in reality should be reversed, in my opinion. But that sounds like a great conversation for another day. So that being said, we've got to wrap up here at PHLY Union Podcast. We've got way more to get into around postseason talk, offseason talk, as we continue to follow the league. Because, yes, now the league does continue, even though the union season is over. We do have SC Cincinnati facing the Columbus Crew on Saturday before LAFC faces the Houston Dynamo. So more to come here as we continue to unwrap all that's going on around the MLS and the Philadelphia Union. For Tyler Zuli, our great guest Charles Boehm, myself Renee Washington. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you're subscribing, liking, following, and also taking advantage of those Cyber Monday deals at phoylocker.com before the end of today. And we'll see you guys back on Thursday for a nice 3:45 show right here on Phoy Union Podcast. Have a good one, guys. <laughs> Y'all silly like the mayor.